Where is it? Here it is. Come rejoice now, O my soul, for his love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? Awesome. Well, if you don't know, we have been working our way through a series called Truths That Transform. And it's been a series about big truths that you find in the Bible that if they land for us (laughs) by the power of the Holy Spirit, then they will transform our lives. And that's what we've been hoping and praying that will be happening in us as we've gone through this series together. We've got this week and next week to go in this series, and then we head towards Christmas, as you've already heard this morning, and we're going to begin a new series in Matthew's Gospel, something along the lines of the King who says we're still kind of fine-tuning and working that out. But important uh, information for you and for all of us, really, is that we'll have some flyers and some invites very soon. It's 34 days until Christmas. Don't panic. If you haven't done the shopping yet, still plenty of time. Not even a, it's, you know, still seven days, maybe start to panic, maybe. Uh, 34 days till Christmas, and a couple of weeks ago I encouraged you, and I want to do it again, I want to encourage you to pray for clarity and for courage as you head toward Christmas. Clarity about who God has placed in your life that you might be able to invite to either the carols or Christmas Day or whatever, your place for Christmas lunch, I don't know. Um, clarity, Lord, show me who it is that you're working in that I can be a part of helping them find out just a bit more about Jesus. And then for courage, because it's one thing to know, right, I could invite this person, but then you kind of, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Pray for courage to take perhaps one of the invites that we'll have for you and put it in their hand and invite them. What's the worst that can happen? They can say no. What's the worst that can happen? But sometimes we say, our, we say other people's no's for them. And I want to encourage you not to do that. Let them say they know if they're going to say no. And you know what? Never know what? They might say yes. All right? So courage, clarity and courage. Uh, again, if you're visiting today, we're thrilled you're here. Uh, do feel welcome to join us to Christ, for Christmas. You've just been invited as well. Uh, we're going to read the Bible together, uh, which is what we do uh, week by week. And we're going to pray And then we're going to dive into it. So we're looking at 1 John this morning. A few other passages, but 1 John mainly. We were in here last week uh, for a different topic. um, But this morning we're in there again. So let's read verse 1 to 7 and then we'll pray. That That which was from the beginning, this is the Apostle John writing, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. 
And we are writing these things so that our joy, some, some translations say your joy, take your pick, so that our joy or your joy may be complete or full. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you so much again for all that we've enjoyed together this morning. And now we come to your word, your life-giving word. We pray that you, are, that you would speak to us. We thank you that you haven't left us in the dark, that you are the God who speaks. And we pray that you would give us, as Anita said earlier, ears to hear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know whether you've realised this or you've noticed this, uh, this kind of phenomenon, that words often either lose their meaning or change their meaning over time. Words often lose their meaning completely or change their meaning over time. Uh, Here's an example of one that has changed completely. It's the word nice. The word nice. Sounds like a nice word, doesn't it? Well, up until the 14th or 15th century, it was actually a negative term for a stupid, ignorant or foolish person. But over time, it came to refer positively to someone. Maybe we should think twice about using the word nice. What about words that have lost their meaning over time? Devastated. Devastated is a word that's lost its meaning, right? It originally meant to lay waste or to render desolate. Now it's moved to strong disappointment or to be deeply upset. I was devoured. I was so devoured by that. Genius. There's another one. Was originally reserved for people of exceptional intellect or creativity, people like Albert Einstein and others. It's moved to virtually anyone who comes up with a good idea. You're such a genius. Words either lose their meaning or change their meaning over time or are emptied of their meaning. When it comes to Christian words that have changed or worse, lost their meaning, the one we're dealing with today is probably one of the clearest examples we might have. It's the word fellowship. Fellowship. Over time, we've reduced this word to anything you do with other Christians anywhere. If you just happen to be in the same geographical location with a bunch of Christians, you're having fellowship. A coffee, and I like coffee, you know that. A coffee in the hall after church, a meal out, a games night, etc., etc. We often use the word fellowship in a way that the Bible doesn't, and in doing so, we tragically empty of it of its meaning, or at least significantly reduce it. Now, the first occurrence of it in the New Testament is found in the book of Acts. Anita quoted that particular text today. You've got, in the book of Acts, you've got God has raised the Lord Jesus from death and he has ascended into heaven. He is seated, reigning in the heavens at the right hand of God. He's poured out his spirit on his apostles and all this phenomena has happened around that event 
And people are reaching all sorts of conclusions about what this is. And the Apostle Peter gets up and preaches or proclaims Jesus risen as the reason for this phenomena. And by the way, he preaches that those people who are present have some hand in killing him. Uh, They become immediately convicted by the Holy Spirit and they say, brothers, what must we do to be saved? He says, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that day, we're told, 3,000 men became Christians. Now, I'm assuming a lot of those men had women with them. So this is an explosion of the New Testament church into reality. Thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus in one single event. So what does a group of people like that who have had such an experience do at that point? Well, this is what it says they did. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. The word devoted is a significant word. It's like when you devote something to a sacrifice. They gave themselves, as it were, to the apostles' teaching, that is to hearing more about the guys who are with Jesus and learning more about who Jesus is and what he's done and where, what's happening next and what he's doing now and all those sorts of things. So they're drinking in the teaching of the apostles and they devoted themselves to the fellowship, what, to lots of coffees after church. No, the breaking of bread, communion and prayer. So you can see where fellowship fits. It's kind of fairly, meant to be fairly weighty and fairly important. It clearly can't be just whenever you're in the same geographical location. There's a bunch of people who believe in Jesus. It's got to be more than that. It's something Christians are to be devoted to. So let's try and recapture its true meaning and significance this morning as best we can. Actually, let's look at the Apostles' teaching on this subject of fellowship. Hopefully we've begun to get some idea about what it's not. Let's think about what it is. And I want to suggest to you, quite simply and plainly, that fellowship is about knowing God deeply with others. Fellowship is about knowing God deeply with others. That's what 1 John 1 says. If you have a look, keep it open in front of you. 1 John chapter 1, the one we had read to us earlier or that I read to you uh, or on your phone. John's writing to these Christians and he's reminding them essentially of the gospel that they believed, of the good news of Jesus through which they have all come to know God. What's at the heart of this good news? That which falls from the beginning, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. He was heard and looked upon and touched. So he's eternal, but he came here. He was present in the flesh with the apostles, the eternal Son of God. He came and was with them. The one who is God become man. And then, as John will tell us, he was lifted up on a cross for sinners that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. John says this was revealed to them first. Verse 2, the life was made manifest or revealed. And we've seen it, he says. We've, we saw it with our own eyes. This is not something we heard about. We witnessed it. And now we're testifying to it and we're proclaiming 
it to you. Why are they proclaiming it? Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have, here it is, fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Apostolic fellowship, or to put it another way, fellowship according to the apostles is about knowing God deeply with others. It's about knowing God deeply with others. And notice it has two wonderful dimensions to it, one more breathtaking than the other. And that's the vertical dimension. Notice what he says again in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and by implication with the Holy Spirit as well. Don't just skip over that. There's a danger here for us just to kind of skip over that. Oh, yeah, he's, uh, fellowship's with the Father and with the Son. But there's a lot going on here. This is where Christian fellowship actually starts, by knowing God. Through the word of life, through the good news of Jesus. All who turn to him and trust in him are brought into this place, this place of intimate relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Intimate relationship with the triune God. A little later in John, uh, John says God is love. He makes that statement. Perhaps you've heard that before. God is love. Now, many have said that's only possible if God is Trinity. Because for love to be present, there has to be a lover, that is the one who is showing love, and there has to be one who is receiving love. So for God to be love, there must be more than one person involved. So it's a pointer, if you like, it's a window into the Godhead himself, into what God is like and who God is. Father, Son and Holy Spirit in this perfect, pure, holy, eternal relationship of love. And that's where fellowship starts to get breathtaking because through the Lord Jesus, through the gospel, when we repent and believe, when we become Christians, we get brought into this eternal relationship of love with God, with Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We've gone from being separated from him by our sin to being intimately in relationship with him the eternal God. See how awesome fellowship actually is, starting with our vertical fellowship with God. And then, of course, there is the horizontal dimension, which is what he also says in verse 3. We proclaim to you this Jesus so that you might repent and believe, so that you might come to know the triune God and that you might have fellowship with us, that together we might share this common, awesome, life-changing, eternity-altering relationship with God. 
Fellowship is about knowing God deeply with others. With others. You see it there in verse 7 as well, right? Verse 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him, that is with Jesus, and we walk in the darkness, that is we're still out in our sins and just doing whatever we want whenever we want, then we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, we, plural, together, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. When we experience God's salvation and he brings us into the light and that sets the trajectory for our lives and we walk together with others, we have fellowship with one another and our ongoing confession and repentance, which is just part of the healthy Christian life, means that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins as well. Fellowship is firstly and foremost about knowing God deeply with others. Now, I wonder if you've ever had kind of this, you know, dream of one day perhaps meeting this famous person or someone really important uh, in the world. I don't know, maybe a, I don't know, a movie star or a sports star or something. It's never going to happen, but, you know, you kind of dream about it maybe. Well, we met someone pretty important a number of years ago. Michelle and I had just started dating, and as you do, you've picked the most romantic kind of place that you can go on a date So we went to the Australian Open at the Vines and watched the golf. Great place to get beautiful scenery, trees everywhere, birds singing, you know, wonderful. Anyway, it was the time that Greg Norman was in Perth playing the Australian Open. And so as you do, you follow him around a bit and then you realise, hey, he's on this hole here, he's going to be on that hole there in about three or four times, so let's go to there and wait there. So that's what we did. We went up a few holes ahead and we got our place right against the, um, the barrier, you know, where they tee off. We're right there waiting for him. And he comes and as golfers tend to do, they, they kind of get their club and they have a bit, of a, you know, a bit of a swing, a bit of a back swing, a couple of swings before they actually take the shot. And he did that. He moved back and had his swing and the golf club seriously probably missed Michelle by about, I don't know, that much. So much so you heard the wind of it, right? And he realised what he'd done. He turned around and said, oh, sorry. Greg Norman spoke to us. <laughs> I'm like, Greg Norman apologised to my girlfriend. <laughs> Friends, do we realise that through the Lord Jesus, we get to be in intimate relationship with the God of heaven and earth? He speaks to us through his word, by his spirit. Who hears our prayers, our cries, our praises, and everything in between. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all glorious God, eternal one. We get to know him deeply and personally. Maybe you're sitting here and you've thought to yourself, if there is a God, I wish I could meet him. I wish I could know him. Well, the good news of Jesus is that you can. John says, that that which was from the beginning, the one you kind of couldn't see for a long time or couldn't know in this way for a long time, well, we've we've seen him and and we've heard him and and, and we've touched him and, and now we proclaim him to you. Why? 
Just for more information? No, so that you too can know God and know him together with others from anywhere and everywhere. Fellowship with one another is this shared reality of eternal life. Tea or coffee after the gathering? Was that fellowship? Well, maybe. Maybe not. Depends if you share in the common reality of knowing Jesus while you have a cup of coffee. Dinner out with friends? Is that fellowship? Maybe. Maybe not. Again, it depends. What's the, what's the topic of your conversation? How honest and open are you being with your friends about maybe your struggles or your joys in following Jesus? Serving on a ministry team. Is that fellowship? Or isn't it? Maybe. Maybe not. Is the beauty of the good news of Jesus at the heart of that serving? Or is it just... Ah, I'm on the roster this week. Far out. Or I'm on the roster this week. I should do it. So that's what fellowship is. But why does it matter? Well, it matters because it's about growing in God intentionally with others. Again, a familiar passage from Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews is actually encouraging Christians uh, through what Jesus has done for them in his death on the cross and the difference that makes. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, there you go, there's fellowship with God in his presence, relationship, deep relationship with God. By the blood of Jesus, God's done everything needed for you to have it by the new and living way that has opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we, if that wasn't enough, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that is someone who mediates between you and the holy God, well, what are you going to do? Well, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. In verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up, not just you know in the Aussie way, but stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting hmm, the fellowship as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You see those little words? Let us, let us, let us. It's together, isn't it? It's the community of people in fellowship with one another around the realities of Jesus trying imperfectly to spur one another on to keep following Jesus, to love and good deeds. Why? For our spiritual health, for our spiritual vitality, for our spiritual growth, for our perseverance that we would keep going in following Jesus even if it gets particularly tough. That if one of us starts to stumble and struggle and fall, others will come alongside. That's what fellowship is meant to do. And it's not one-sided. It's not like there is a group of people who that's their job, right? There's, a, there's obviously some who, you know, this is their thing. No, the picture is that all of us are to be engaged with this fellowship. Have a listen to how Paul puts it in Romans 1. He says, For I long to see you, 
This is the Apostle Paul. Right? Surely he doesn't need any encouragement, right? He's an apostle. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Verse 12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Don't you love that? There's the great apostle Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles, planter of churches, left, right and centre. I, I, I long to see you. I really want to see you. I want to have fellowship with you that I might encourage you, that I might impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you and that we might be encouraged by each other's faith in Jesus to keep going, to keep serving, to keep worshipping, to not be distracted from the race that's marked out in front of us. He's pretty desperate for it, right? For I long to see you, he says. This is what true biblical fellowship will do. It helps us grow in God. It's not about us getting together, by the way, and just spruiking our knowledge. You know, getting together for my benefit so I can tell you what I know. It's not about that. Notice he's worried about their good. You know, because if we do that, then it's often more about us looking good and feeling good rather than the benefit of others. Fellowship is aimed at building others up. Have a listen to how Paul puts it. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. It's very other person-centred and I kind of benefit Secondly, along the way, as this happens. Sometimes fellowship gets, can be very deep and also very personal. Have a listen to James 5 verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So this is a particular kind of fellowship that we might experience and benefit from. Perhaps not the kind of fellowship you have with a large group, but maybe a select trusted few that you're really honest with, that you can pretty much tell them anything and everything. And you know they'll pray for you at that moment and encourage you to fight on perhaps if you're struggling with a particular repetitive sin, whatever it is. This is a very personal kind of fellowship where you would share your life with others at that kind of level. But the point is clear, isn't it, from, all, from maybe just these three or four passages, that fellowship, rightly understood, is vital for us as followers of Jesus. Vital. Something we're to be devoted to for the benefit of the whole. Not a chat about the weather over coffee. Though that's a good thing. You, we can still do that. Right? I'm not saying don't do that. Just say don't do only that. Right? Genuinely share the common life that we have in Jesus. Spur one another on. 
Fellowship is actually what we call a means of grace. A means of grace. That is, it's something that God has given us. It's a kind gift from him for the benefit of the whole. It's about growing in God intentionally with others. And my clicker has gone to sleep or something. Thanks, Matt. Well, I've said this to you before. I do not have a medical background or an education in medical area, but I do know some things about medicine. I'm pretty sure blood flow to the body is important. I've got, I've got that much worked out. In fact, it's vital to the health of the body, right? Fellowship is kind of like that when it comes to the health of the body of Christ. The more fellowship in the biblical sense flows, the healthier every member will be. The more it flows, the healthier every member will be. So, how's your spiritual blood flow at the moment? How is it? Where are you experiencing fellowship, as we've looked at it this morning, on a reasonably regular basis? And where can you if you're not? How can you if you're not? How can you take some steps towards it? if the Lord is putting on that on your heart today? Well, three Bs to finish with. Firstly, be aware of obstacles to fellowship. Be aware of obstacles to fellowship. And here's a couple. Self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. If you are self-sufficient, you will think, I don't need it. I'm fine. I can do this on my own. And that, is a happy deception that the evil one would like to have you in and believing. That you don't need it, that you can just plough on and do it by yourself. Means of grace. It's a good gift from God. We need it. And self-sufficiency is one obstacle that may get in the way. Formality is another one. Formality with no intimacy. That is, going through the motions, doing all the right things, reading your Bible, coming to the gathering, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, but with no personal intimacy with God. That's formality. It's not fellowship. That's another obstacle. Uh, another way we describe that is what we call dead orthodoxy. So you can be orthodox, completely correct, completely right, have all your boxes ticked perfectly, but there's no life in it. There's no life in it. There's no relationship with God in it, so it's dead orthodoxy and it will not build anyone up, either you or others. Here's another one that will get in the way, spiritual elitism. Spiritual elitism, that is, having a sense of pride around understandings that you may have gained or grasped 
or spiritual experiences that you may have had that the rest of you haven't. And if you just knew what I knew or experienced what I had experienced, then you too could be where I am. Spiritual elitism. It's the opposite of humility. You will not grow like that and you will not help anyone else grow. In fact, you might do the opposite. You might cause them to be discouraged or even to despair, particularly if they believe there's some kind of spiritual elitism and they're just a pleb down the bottom but you're up here. And they might find themselves saying, based on encounters with you, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my Christianity? I'm obviously not there. So spiritual elitism will kill biblical fellowship. So be aware. Be aware of obstacles to fellowship. That's the negative side. On the positive side, be intentional. Be intentional. It's not accidental. I think if, you, if we scroll back through those re, all those readings real quickly, you'll see it was very intentional. Let us do this. Let us do that. Let us do that. I long to see you that we may do this. Be intentional. It's not going to happen to you sitting on the couch. Pursue it. Go after it. Do something about it. Join a growth group. Sit in the gathering thinking about the truth landing and relationship with God and responding to him in praise or prayer or confession or whatever it is. Fight formality. Join a growth group. Join a D group. We have these smaller groups of men and women that can meet to encourage each other, to have the Bible open together, to pray. Maybe start a one-to-one. Say to a trusted friend, hey, I'd really like to read the Bible with someone. Would you be interested? Take a step. Be intentional. After the gatherings, have the coffee, but talk about what God said with someone. Spark up the conversation. What did God say this morning to you? How has how it affected you? What, what was the impact on you? How did it affect you? Talk about it. Talk about it in the way home on the car. On the car? In the car. Yeah, in the car, preferably. Uh-huh. And then this is the last one. Believe God. Believe God. He says fellowship is a good gift from him and you and I need it. You believe him? Believe God. Let's pray. Father, if we tried to tally up all the good gifts that we have from your hand, no spreadsheet could cope, no counting device could manage. We thank you so much that every good and perfect gift comes from you, the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow or changing, and we thank you that one of the precious ones is the one we've looked at this morning, the gift of fellowship, of knowing you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with others, with brothers and sisters. Father, thank you so much.
that we can have this community of belief, this community of relationship with you. And we can spur each other on. Thank you that you've given it as a gift for our good. A means by which we can grow, a means by which we can glorify you, a means by which we can serve one another. So many blessings. Father, thank you for the blessings that we've received from your hand today. Just in these 90 minutes, whatever it is. From testimonies to baptisms to praise to your word. Father, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.